a Christian sociologist uh, called Tony Campolo uh, from the States uh, tells a story about how years ago he was uh, staying at a hotel in Honolulu. He was due to speak at a conference and uh, because of the time change between Honolulu and his own uh, city in uh, I Seattle, he, uh, he found that he was wide awake in the middle of the night and his stomach was growling. And so uh, he couldn't find any food in the hotel, so he gets up and he w- goes around Honolulu in the middle of the night trying to find somewhere to have an early breakfast. And uh, the only place he can find is this one little sort of uh, uh, dingy cafe down an alleyway. And uh, he goes in, orders a donut and a cup of coffee. And uh, he's sitting there sipping his coffee quietly when in bursts through the door eight or nine prostitutes who have just finished their night's work. They're provocatively dressed, they're loud, they're swearing, they're smoking, and they're standing around him as he's sipping his coffee half asleep. And uh, he begins to gulp his coffee because he wants to get out of there as quickly as possible. And then the lady beside him in the midst of conversation says, it's my birthday tomorrow. She's speaking to her friend. It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 39 years old. And her friend rather nastily says to her, well, what do you want me to do about it? Uh, you want me to have a party for you or buy a cake for you? And uh, she, just, she says, well, I wasn't asking for anything. I was just saying it was my birthday party. And I don't expect any birthday party because I've never had a birthday party in my life. And I don't expect one to start now. Well, in that moment, Tony Campolo said he had a decision to make whether to keep gulping down his coffee and get out of there as quickly as possible or to sip it. And uh, he sipped it and he waited until all the ladies had gone. And uh, he then got speaking to the guy behind the counter. His name was Harry. And he said, uh, do they come in every night? He said, yeah, every night, regular clockwork, half past three in the morning. I said, what's the name of the one whose is, birthday is tomorrow? So that's, that's Agnes. Why do you want to know? Tony says, well, she said she'd never had a party. Why don't we here tomorrow night throw a party for her? And Harry says, brilliant idea. He calls his wife out of the kitchen and says, listen to this. This guy wants to throw a party. And the gentleman, Harry's wife, says, wonderful. Agnes is a lovely lady, always trying to help other people, but no one ever does anything good for her. So they make arrangements. Harry's going to bake a cake, going to buy some candles, and uh, Tony goes to buy the decorations, the crepe paper, and they arrange to meet at half past two the next morning. They come back in then, and uh, Harry has got the word out among uh, the neighborhood that uh, so anyway it turns out Tony says that nearly every prostitute in Honolulu is in this cafe and he's got cardboard letters up on the wall happy birthday Agnes the place is decorated and uh, they're all primed and ready and at half past three on the dot Agnes walks in with her friend and they all shout happy birthday Agnes and Agnes is just dumbfounded her legs practically buckle underneath her And uh, then Harry brings in the cake, blazing with candles, and they all start to sing happy birthday. And Agnes just bursts into tears. And they say to her, blow out the candles. She manages to blow out the candles, and then cut the cake. 
And she looks at it and says to Harry, is it okay if we don't cut it just yet? I just want to look at it. Harry's not sure what to say, and he says, well, yeah, I mean, take it home if you want. And she says, could I take it home just for a, just for a moment to show my mom? She just lives around the block. Could I, could I bring it home and show her the cake? And so Agnes picks up the cake, and it's like this sort of, like this. She walks out of the, the cafe, and the door closes behind her, and the place goes completely quiet. And nobody knows what to do and what to say. They look at each other. They look at Tony. And Tony stands up on a chair and says, let's pray for Agnes. So they all bow their heads and pray. And he prays God's blessing on Agnes's life, her health, everything. He prays for God's blessing on her. And he prays that, that Agnes's life would change and be changed for the better. As they come back down after the prayer, Harry then says, Hey, you never told me that you were a preacher. What sort of church do you belong to anyway? And Tony says, in a moment of what he believes is inspiration, he says, I belong to the type of church that throws parties for prostitutes at half past three in the morning. And Harry, with a bit of a sneer in his face, says, No, you don't. Because there's no such church. If there were, I would join it. Jesus Christ is telling these three stories. And they're stories about joining in a celebration. There's the the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, loses one, goes after it, finds it, and he lifts it on his shoulders, goes home rejoicing, singing, thanking God, calls his neighbors and friends together, and he says, rejoice with me. Come and have a party with me. I have found my lost sheep. Jesus says, I tell you, they'll be just in the same way rejoicing in heaven, even more so over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to repent. There's the woman who has 10 coins and loses one She finds it after sweeping the house and she says to her friends and her neighbors, come, rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Jesus says, I tell you, there will be rejoicing in heaven among the angels of God, similarly over one sinner who repents. Then the story, the third story about the lost son. The father sees him, goes to him, embraces him, says, Bring the best robe, put it on him, ring in his finger, sandals on his feet. Kill the fattened calf, let's throw a party. And they began to celebrate. I think the thing that would have been most encouraging to the people who were listening to that parable, the people who were surrounding Jesus, um, who were people who are described as irreligious, non-religious people, people who were gathering around him to hear what he had to say, I think the thing that would encourage them most is the fact that the only difference between the the sheep that was lost and the other 99 was the fact that the sheep was lost. They were all sheep. The thing that would encourage them most about the story of the coins was the fact that they were all 10 of them coins. The only difference was that one for a while happened to be lost. Their two sons, one of them stayed at home, 
One of them was lost. Both of them were sons. The context of Jesus telling these stories is the fact that he is eating with, listening to, laughing with, spending time with, and talking with people who were broken, selfish, sinful people. He would have been surrounded by a whole spectrum of people. People who were open, who were attentive, who were interested, who were generous, people who were devious, people who were uh, greedy, people who were broken, people who were filled with hope, people who felt hopeless. It would have been the full gambit of people who were gathered around Jesus. And he spent time with them, he listened to them, he ate with them, and he talked with them. And the religious leaders of his day thought, this is just not right. This is not the way it's meant to be. And the reason why they thought that was, well, for, in a lot of ways they would say for good reason. Because the people who were criticizing Jesus, and the reason why he tells these three stories, is because their understanding of what righteousness, a right relationship with God looks like, is one that involves a careful, prayerful obedience to Scripture. And also obeying the traditions that have been handed down from the generations previously. The understanding is that holiness is about being set apart for God that it involves separation in order to be able to live a life of holiness. That actually there needs to be a drawing back from that which is unholy. People that are unholy, unholy practices, if you want to live a holy life, you've got to separate yourself back from those situations in order to live a holy life. It's a theology of the temple. The theology of the fact that the temple had, had grades of acceptance The Gentiles weren't allowed in. Women were allowed in to the first section. Men to the second section. Only priests to the third section. And only the high priest to the Holy of Holies. And there was this sense of a growing holiness, a separateness to the place where actually God's footstool on earth was seen to be, where heaven touched down on earth. And so the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, their their teaching was that no matter where you are, then you need to try and emulate this life of separateness, of holiness, to have a right relationship with God. And yet here was Jesus doing the polar opposite. Here was Jesus stepping into unholy places, rubbing shoulders with unholy people, tax collectors, prostitutes, murderers, embezzlers, gossips, devious people. Here was Jesus intentionally stepping into the world that Pharisees would dare to go near. And so they're criticizing him. They're saying, how can you be holy mixing with unholy people? And Jesus tells these three stories. 
And the three stories are all about one thing. There is a party in heaven every time someone turns to God. And if there's a party in heaven, there should also be a party on earth. It's Jewish theology. There are two halves to God's creation, heaven and earth, and they should exist together in perfect harmony. It's the theology that Jesus Christ taught us in the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom be on earth as it is in heaven. May the two parts of God's creation dwell in perfect harmony. It's good theology. Jesus is saying, the reason why I'm celebrating with these people, the reason why we're having a party together is because there's a party going on in heaven right now. Because here is someone, here are some people who are turning towards God. And that is really important and really important for us not to miss because Jesus has the same ultimate intention as the Pharisees. They just have a different understanding as to how to get there. Both of them want everybody to live a righteous, holy life, to have a right relationship with God. They just have a different understanding of what repentance looks like. Because repentance is turning round towards God. For the religious leaders, that turning round meant that you had to carefully obey the purity laws and carefully obey every iota of the law. Jesus said repentance is critical, but repentance is different than what you understand. He says repentance is simply turning yourself towards God. Nothing else. Repentance is simply turning towards the one who is the author of life and love. And the reason why celebration happens in heaven and should happen on earth every time that happens is because when someone turns themselves towards God, then heaven breaks out on earth. Because the God of life and love starts to bring transformation As Johnson was saying at the start of this service, God is good and he is constant and he is unchanging. Whenever we turn towards God, we find that he is always there. That's what it means. He's never changing. The same yesterday and today and forever. When we turn around to our surprise, we find that God has been standing there all along. And with him lie the gifts of life and salvation and healing and fullness and mercy and purpose. Life in all of its fullness. All we have to do is turn around. And when we do, we discover that we don't have to go looking because he finds us and he embraces us. And life and love just pour out into our lives if we're willing just to turn around towards him. That, said Jesus, is what repentance is all about. And that brings a party in heaven. And it should be a party on earth. I think the challenge for us then, the challenge that maybe led to that guy, Harry, behind the counter in Honolulu saying, could there be a church like this? Are there people like this? If there were, I'd certainly want to live among them. The challenge for us is that the challenge for us is that 
we need to intentionally place ourselves in the midst of the places that are seen as unholy. That Jesus is saying the road to righteousness is the path of following in his footsteps. And that means that we need to intentionally place ourselves in the place where there are on where there is unholiness. Sorry, I'm just realizing there's water. Does anyone want a glass of water? You got some? We have to place ourselves in the place of unholiness. And for you this morning, you may be thinking, I don't really have to work hard to do that. Because in my workplace or in my family or among my friends or among my neighbors, I am surrounded by people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who live broken, hurting, selfish, proud lives. If that's the case, then rejoice in the fact that you don't have to go looking. Because you're exactly where you're meant to be. Because Jesus says, if you don't find yourself in that place, then you've got to get up and go looking for that place. You see, the challenge that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 5.20, which was a real shock to them, was this. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were flabbergasted. How could this be? You see, whenever we step into places or find ourselves in places where there is brokenness and hurt and cynicism and unbelief and hostility and apathy, we are going to need bucket loads of God's Holy Spirit in order not just to survive, but to actually thrive. And so we will continually keep turning towards God. And Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for they will be filled. Why will they be filled? Because they find themselves in a desert and they're asking for water, not primarily for themselves, but for those who are around them. And that just breaks heaven open and the waters of heaven flow. So if you're in that environment, rejoice because you don't have to go looking. If you're not in that environment, then find ways to place yourself intentionally in that environment because that's what Jesus did. The second challenge is that in that environment, we have to become and be living question marks. That by doing things like throwing parties for prostitutes in a coffee shop in Honolulu, we need, by the grace of God, to cause people to ask, who are you? 
Why are you? Why are you doing the good things that you are doing? Why have you done this surprisingly good thing when no one else is doing it? Why are you acting in this counter-cultural way? And how do you have the strength to actually do that? Heaven loves it when people ask questions like that. And then in that moment, we pray that God would give us the words to say. That we can say it's all because of Jesus Christ. That may be as far as our answer has to go. Or maybe we'll have the opportunity to say, you know, I was once lost and I was found by God. And here's the thing. He's looking for you too. Because he loves you. Because he's a good father. And he's looking for everybody. And then we need to pray that people will be blessed and that lives will be changed when those people turn towards God, turn towards the light and the love and say, God, here I am. This morning you may be feeling lost. You may be feeling How could I be part of this family of God? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. All 100 were sheep. All 10 were coins. Both were sons. There is a God who's looking for you. And he will not rest until you are found by him. He will keep knocking on the door of your life. All you have to do is open the door and let him embrace you. Don't worry about what comes after that. Don't worry about, could I live up to it? How would my life change? It will be blessed. It will be transformed. It will be great. All you have to do is open the door. Or perhaps the challenge for you and for me this morning is to ask ourselves, are we, like Jesus, placing ourselves intentionally in the places of darkness? And are we in those places of darkness being the light of Christ in his name by his power and for his glory? Are people around me and you asking, why do you do the good things that you do? Why are you different to other people? How did I become like you? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. It's all about goodness and grace and generosity. We're just amazed the fact that you came looking for us and are still coming looking for everybody. That you're restless, that you come and you come after us, Lord, because you love us. And Lord, may we rejoice with heaven whenever lost things are found. May we be part of your searching for that which is broken and lost. May we see those whom you long for turning to you, being embraced by you, and knowing you as a father who forgives, a father who loves, a father who is faithful, a father who never changes, a father who is here now.
searching for children. In Jesus' name, amen.